The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. Get Out Alive, Part 1. Written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin. John and Sarah had been looking for weeks and weeks, and they still weren't any closer to finding Zach Marlowe, whoever and wherever he was. John could feel the pressure increasing on him, like a vice that someone was slowly tightening over his chest. Sarah was more hopeful, but the same fear that he had was in the back of her mind, an ever-present cloud on their thoughts. They just had the name and an idea. That, if they, the collected might of the world's metahumans and governments, failed in stopping the Thulians, this Zack guy would be able to succeed, someday. Be able to mount a resistance that would free the world from the Thulians' rule. It wasn't a comforting thought, but it was better than the alternative. The Thulians win, the world is enslaved and burned, and then they spread to the stars and beyond. So far, they'd tried every course of action they could think of. They had been searching the futures at every opportunity, whenever they weren't busy on a mission, or on patrol, or helping out in the neighborhood, or around CCCP HQ. Besides telling Eightball what they were looking for, Sarah had confided their vision to a troubled Vicky, and had requested that she recruit her parents, or anyone else she could think might help, to the search. Vicky was scouring the internet and every database that she had access to, including more than a few that she shouldn't have had access to, with zero results. It was beginning to seem like Zack Marlowe didn't exist anywhere but John and Sarah's minds. That simply couldn't be true. They couldn't afford for it to be true. John had managed to hang on to his sanity, with Sarah's help, so far. He didn't think that he and Sarah had slipped off the rails with this vision. The futures were always changing, sure, but this seemed as much of a sure thing as there was. We fail, he picks up the slack. Maybe this meant that they had done something that was putting them on the course to win the war, and they just didn't know it yet? Then again, the inverse was also true. They could have done something to irrevocably screw the planet and ensure that not even this Marlowe person could save it one day. Thinking about it was goddamned maddening when you got right down to it. Sarah was feeling the strain as well, but seemed to be doing far better than she had been before John had talked her through her crisis of conscience. That had been a rough night for both of them, and John was thankful that they were past it. He had owed her a dozen times over for pulling him back from the edge of going power mad, it seemed like a small enough favor to help her get perspective on what they were doing. At the moment, John and Sarah were busy in the CCCP's armory. John needed to take his mind out of the endless loop it had spun itself into, and he found that working on guns helped him to do that more often than not. He was a detail-oriented sort of man, and he had grown up around guns. Combined with his time in the military— he had learned that weapons maintenance could have a distinctly meditative quality to it. It helped to have a second set of hands in Sarah. She sat quietly beside him and aided or handed him what he needed almost before he knew he needed the help. He could tell that she just didn't grasp why working on items of violence would be meditative for him, but she accepted that it was. 
Some men gardened, or made models of wooden ships and glass bottles. John Field stripped AKs and M4s. John had hooked up a beat-to-shit boombox up in the corner so that it functioned, most of the time at least. Right now it was playing a Tom Waits tape that he had bartered for at one of the neighborhood markets. Hey, darling, John said as he pulled the pins on the upper receiver for his personal M4, deftly separating it from the lower receiver, and then removing the charging handle and bolt carrier group in precise, efficient movements. She cocked her head to the side and blinked, slowly, as she was inclined to do when she was not sure of a social interaction. Yes, she said finally. Is there something you require that I am not supplying? No, nothing like that. Only so much CLP and hops that I need handed to me at any one time, he said, grinning. No, I was going to ask you something. He set down the pieces of the bolt carrier group on the rubber mat in front of him, looking up into Sarah's eyes. You ever wonder what we're going to do after all this is over? The war, the Thulians, all of it? I truly had not thought of it. I have not thought past. She waved her hands widely. All this. I told you, the siblings are not competent at creation because we have not free will to see past what is and what probably will be. It is difficult for me to imagine anything. I've been thinking about it from time to time. This war can't last forever, one way or another. He frowned, biting his lip for a split second, before picking up the lower receiver of his rifle. I'm focusing on the best possible scenario, though. We win, kick the hell out of the Thulians, get our world back. What would you and I do? Her brows creased, as if this was difficult thinking for her. Maybe it was, if what she'd said was true, and the siblings just plainly were not able to create. She wasn't technically a sibling anymore, but John could appreciate how hard old habits could be to break. The... together? She said tentatively. I suppose now we shall have similar lifespans. Well, yeah. You and I are together until the end, darling. Nothing can stop that. He leaned over the table between them, pecking her lightly on the lips before settling back on his stool. As far as our lifespans go, we are both metahumans, so we've probably got a few more years than the average bear. But then we have our own deal going, too, with the celestial stuff. I honestly don't have the slightest idea how that'll affect us, beyond what we've already seen. That's more in your wheelhouse, or maybe Vicky's. She shook her head. We are a new thing. I know not, and cannot predict. She bit her lip. She was starting to pick up human habits and facial expressions more easily. It was endearing to John. I suppose we cannot reside in your squat forever. Someone will come for the building and make us leave. Where should we go? John shrugged. That's a fair question. I've always gone where the work was, so to speak. 
When I was enlisted, I was either on base housing or got an allotment for off-base housing. Still, I was wherever I was deployed or stationed. It's kind of the same for us now. We're here with the CCCP, so Atlanta is our port of call. Once this is all over, I guess it's still determined by what we're actually doing. You know what I mean? Well, we still have what we can do. I suppose we will do what Echo did before the war. Do you think CCCP will be here still? John thought for a moment, picking up a worn double-sided toothbrush to use on the vault carrier. I guess that all depends on Moscow and how the situation will change there. My impression is that the Commissar is sort of exiled here in the States, unless something drastic happens with the folks back in the motherland. And those some bitches have long memories. I often do not agree with the Commissar and her methods, Sarah replied, a little sadly. Do you think she will change? If she does not, I am... Not certain I wish to remain with CCCP. She already has changed. Hell, we all have, darling. We've had to. He continued cleaning the individual parts of the bolt carrier group as he talked, inspecting them, lubricating them, and then reassembling them. Now, will she be in a place where we still want to work with her? Outside of a war footing? That's something I couldn't tell you. I've disagreed with Nat myself. She's pretty hard not to have a fight with about something at some point. But her heart is in the right place. Mostly, I figure. We wouldn't have stuck with her this long if it wasn't. Even so, Sarah sighed. If we find she reverts, or will not change, or goes home again, what would we do? Join with Belladonna and become a part of Echo? That would be an option, I suppose. I love the Blueberry to death for everything that she's done for us and everything she's doing to keep the fight going. Uh, but Echo in general just gives me a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of red tape for anything and way more government than I'm happy with. The CCCP is in this happy little place where we've got governmental backing, but we're still left hands-off, for the most part. Paperwork and triplicate notwithstanding. Not so with Echo, or at least how it was before the war. He thought for a few moments, still working on the rifle. I had a run-in with one of their recruiters, around the same time that Black Snake came knocking. It didn't leave me with the best impression of how some of that organization does business. She blinked at him, this time in surprise. Why? What happened? She asked curiously. A busybody. Some mid-level guy came around the hood not too long after the invasion. Apparently, word had gotten out about what I was doing. I was a little less than discreet, for whatever idiot reason. Echo was hurt and bad for bodies, so they were scrounging for unregistered metas. Like me. I didn't cotton to the idea of getting pressed into service, and I was happy enough doing things the way I had been doing them. My way, to be precise. After a little bit of measuring anatomy and some pretty heavy pressure from the hood, the flunky backed down. Bigger fish to fry without needing to get fried himself. 
I know logically that it was rough times back then and everyone was desperate, but still not the best impression. But with Bella in charge and Yankee pride, would things not be different? She flipped her wings a little, a sign of restiveness. Or maybe that she didn't quite agree with him? John looked around for a moment, seemingly lost, before Sarah proffered a beer for him. He nodded, smiling, as he took it and had a tug from it. Well, you're right in that regard. It may have been a different organization back then, before Bella and Pride had the reins. Still, I'm not sure. Seems like the sort of thing where, once they have their hooks in you, you're in it and that's it. Not sure how comfortable I am with that. But what are we to do if we do not join Echo and cannot remain with CCCP? she asked. I... How would we know who to help? The Infinite no longer guides me. We have extraordinary abilities. How can we not use them? We could always take our act on the road. It's not like we need an RV, exactly. Sarah handed John a cleaning rod, patch already threaded on it, and he applied some CLP to it before threading the rod through the rifle's barrel. It'd probably ruffle more than a few feathers, though. So to speak, he said, nodding towards her wings with an impish waggle of his eyebrows. Folks didn't like unregistered metas doing their thing before the invasion. Can't imagine much will change afterwards, no matter how much good we do during the war. And would we not face pressure on many fronts? Echo wishing to have us, the military wishing to have us, clandestine organizations wishing to have us, and criminals wishing to eliminate us? She replied. Echo might leave us be, with Bella in charge, but the others would not. You're right on that count, darling. I'm fairly certain we could take any and all comers, but why deal with the headaches if we don't have to? Not saying that being with the CCCP or Echo wouldn't have headaches of their own, maybe even a lot of the ones you just listed. John changed out patches on the cleaning rod, running the implement down the barrel and changing out the patches again methodically as he thought. You know, there's another option. There is? She bit her lip again. I hope you will not tell me that we must pretend to be someone else and never use our powers at all. She shook her wings. How could I even do that with these? They are somewhat obvious. Unless you think I should pretend I am the... What is it? Cosplayer. She shook her head. How should I shop for the grocery items? <laughs> the obvious answer is carefully. But as to whether we ought to quit? Hell no. Not pretend to be someone else, not exactly. But there's no reason why we ought to be full-time with this if things shake out well with the war. We've got the futures to see when we'd be most needed. I don't imagine how we could shut that off even if we wanted to. Still, I wouldn't mind focusing on us for once. Hell, maybe even starting a litter. Could we retire? she asked doubtfully. And I do not know if children are even possible for us.
John set down the tools and pieces of the rifle that he was handling. He leaned across the table again, setting his hands on top of Sarah's. Well, darling, there's only one way to find out. He sent all of the warmth and love that he had for Sarah through their connection. He knew that she would understand how fully and truly that he loved her, and how it almost brought him to tears just to think about. Her eyes widened, and a tentative smile ghosted across her face. Then he felt the same deep and abiding passion return to him. She put a free hand atop his, and for a moment the two of them were lost in each other. And, of course, the moment was shattered by a ping from Vicky in his ear. Sarah blinked, then shook her head and laughed a little. Is this what they call birth control? she asked. Oh, near enough, darling, John sighed, cocking his head to the side. Vicky Murdoch here, go ahead. Eight ball wants you on the double, she replied. He's all spun up, just keeps repeating your names. Copy, we're on our way. Dial back the caffeine or electrons or whatever you feed him. Murdoch out. John set down the pieces of the rifle and cleaning tools. Duty calls, darling. Shall we? Perhaps, perhaps it is something about... She began, then shook her head. No, I will not hope. I will wait until I know. Let us go. Vicky had the window open for them as usual when she called for them, although John privately thought a key to the door on the roof would have been a lot more handy. Once they were in her overwatch room, though, it was clear that she hadn't been exaggerating about Eight Ball. The screen was scrolling their names, almost faster than he could read. Oh, Vic, what's going on? What's the deal with Eight Ball? John and Sarah took up position behind the chair as Vicky slid into it, her fingers dancing across the keyboard. The scrolling names stopped. The screen filled with three words. I found him. Before any of them could react to that, the words vanished and were replaced by what looked like some sort of form. All three of them crowded in together to read the screen. It appeared to be a surrender form, where a couple surrendered their child to the state. Uncontrolled, uncontrollable metahuman was typed under the reason for surrender, a not completely unheard of and legal reason for parents giving up a child whose powers had not manifested well. Most often, it was because those powers were killing the child, the parents couldn't afford the medical bills, and they were willing to hand the kid over to someone like Echo on the chance that those who had metahuman powers could find a way to save it. This page of the form was full of boilerplate legal language intended to keep the parents from changing their minds, or ever making a claim on the child or the organization that was taking it ever again. But Echo was not who these parents had surrendered their child to. Department of Metahuman Resources, the form said. The hell? John muttered. Vicky glanced at him. Who's that? Never heard of them, she said flatly and scrolled down the form to reveal the names of the parents and child. They all froze. The parents, Gregory and Alice Marlowe. And the child, Zachary. 
John didn't have a chance to brace himself for the vision. He and Sarah were instantly thrust into it, but this was different. It wasn't nearly as clear as the others. This one was almost like it was coming through on a pirate signal, or some sort of distant station. The two of them drifted out of the vision and then back into it, back and forth. He felt an overwhelming sense of vertigo. Just as suddenly, both he and Sarah were out of the vision, completely. And they knew. John gasped for a moment, and Sarah steadied herself on his shoulder. We can find him. John looked into Sarah's eyes. No, she replied, her expression growing into one of deep determination. We must find him. They were flying relatively low, only about a thousand feet up or so. It was a slightly cool, damp morning, even this high up. John and Sarah were flying over the Florida panhandle as fast as they could manage. The sun hadn't yet broken over the horizon, but it would soon. John couldn't remember what sort of twilight they were in now, whether it was nautical or civil or whatever. He liked working at night. Between having NVGs or his enhanced sight, it was an edge against enemies, most of the time. Twilight would have to do. John and Sarah weren't flying by wire, with Vicky or Overwatch to guide them. The place they were going to wasn't on the map, strictly speaking. Not the sort of place you could plug into a GPS at any rate. It was an old mental hospital situated right on the edge of the Okefenokee Swamp, on the Florida side. It only had one beat-to-hell road, unpaved, leading to it, well off of the beaten path that most of the tourists would take to visit the area. John liked the outdoors well enough. He spent enough time in them, with his former occupation and even with what he did now. But he couldn't see how anyone could enjoy the goddamn swamp. Maybe it was just a prejudice leftover from the Florida phase he did in his ranger school training. That had been an ungodly amount of time spent with little to no food or sleep, and always, always in wet clothing. Too many mosquitoes for his liking. He glanced over at Sarah, wiping a little of the condensation from his goggles to get a better look at her. She looked determined. She was pumping her wings hard, going as fast as she could. They could have been at the location in minutes, but they were trying for a more stealth approach. A giant comet coming straight for the hospital would have been a dead giveaway for too many people that were interested in them, not to mention whoever else was with Zack. For a brief moment, Sarah looked over to him, maybe sensing his gaze. She smiled back at him, showing teeth. Even with what was at stake, she was feeling exactly the same thing that he was. Relief. They had found what they were looking for. No matter what happened now, they'd do what needed to be done. And I'm not crazy. Well, shit, crazier than usual. Figured that the average Joe would have to be a little bent to get caught up in this war and keep at it the way I have. John grinned back at Sarah. We're getting close, darling. I can feel it. Or at least we better be close. I'm ready to get this hunt over with. He felt what could only be described as a mental caress. It had become a trademark of sorts between himself and Sarah, something that they had developed together, more intimate than anything physical could possibly be, 
since it wrapped emotion, intention, and so much more up in an instant, with nothing lost in transmission. The hunt is only the beginning, beloved, she replied. The visions, fragmented as they were, I sense this will not be easy. Wouldn't be any fun if it was easy now, would it? He banked playfully towards her for a moment before straightening out. Either way, oh wait, we're there. There was supposed to be an old mental hospital, long abandoned. There did not match anything Vicky had pulled up on it. Even satellite views had shown little more than some glimpses of roof under massive surrounding trees. They both pulled up and hovered. Sarah had dimmed her fires down to nothing and was only a darker shadow in the night, wings beating strongly. John wished he could dim the fires that were keeping him aloft. He probably looked like some tactical version of Icarus right then. If there was anything or anyone looking up right now, he'd be a lovely aerial target for someone looking to get some practice in. Now, darling, to hell with it. Let's just get down there. If there's going to be any danger, we'll feel it coming and react before it hits us. Time isn't on our side here. For answer, she folded her wings and dove like a falcon straight for the entrance. She caught him off guard, leaving him still hovering while she was a third of the way to the ground. Try to keep up, he heard. John grinned, then gritted his teeth as he killed his fires. Out of hell with stealth. He let himself fall for about forty feet, head down, before he kicked them back on with a loud pop. It didn't take him more than a second or two to catch up with Sarah once he poured the speed on, but he actually was a little bit worried that she'd beat him, for a moment. She dove at the same rate a falcon would dive, about a hundred and eighty miles an hour. Vicky had timed her, too. It didn't beat his top flying speed, but it was certainly fast enough to outpace a Thulean sphere at combat speeds. They largely didn't rely on their speed in combat, but their agility and invulnerability. It took seconds for John and Sarah to close the distance and touch down on the ground. Sarah, abruptly opening her wings and somehow rotating in mid-air so that her extended foot touched the ground, exactly as a falcon would land, dropping into a crouch and folding her wings tightly against her back and manifesting her fire spear. John did a front flip, ending up right side up instead of head down again, and flared his fires the last hundred or so feet, bracing for the G-forces. The ground was scorched under him before he cut out the fires, kicking up a small cloud of dust. He landed exactly as Sarah had, manifesting his fire claymore. He felt like the goddamned rocketeer. Ready, darling? I find it alarming that they have not come to meet us she whispered, staring at the closed double doors. Bland double doors, they looked like ones you'd see on the entrance of a hospital, a school, or maybe a prison. The lack of response is troubling. I mean, here we are, all dressed up and nothing or nobody to meet us. I'd imagine they'd have some sort of surveillance or early warning systems that should have let them know we're here. He thought for a moment. Let's knock. The pair of them walked calmly up the steps on the porch. The entire front of the building was... institutional. The doors were glass, framed in aluminum. Cinderblock, but coated with something that made it gleam like ceramic. Hard to tell what color it was in this light, but it was probably a gray or a pale green. 
The windows were also aluminum-framed, smallish, identical, and barred. Not a good sign. The more exits, the better, though John supposed that they could just destroy a wall if they needed another way out. And this was certainly not the faux antebellum mansion that the original mental institution had been. This looked like a government building of the sort that had sprouted in droves in the fifties in Florida, when the space program and more clandestine operations had taken root here. Cheap land, few neighbors, and fewer questions. Except this building didn't show much age. Certainly not a half-century worth. John and Sarah pushed their way through the front doors. They weren't locked in any case. He still didn't feel any danger, but something was definitely... off. The lights were on, and the ceiling fans were still spinning, but no one was to be found. The interior was like the outside of the building. Cold, newer than it should have been, and soulless at the heart of it. This was a reception area, it looked like. Institutional green walls, ceramic tile this time, linoleum floor, heavy gray metal desk with a closed binder right in the middle of the desktop. No computer. Two speakers on the wall behind the desk. Green plastic chairs like a doctor's office waiting room. A coffee machine that looked brand new and old at the same time. A carefully cultivated patina of neglect. It hit John all at once. It looked like a TV set, what some art director thought that a loony bin would look like. A finger of ice crept its way along his gut. I'd say curiouser and curiouser, but that would suggest I want to know more about this place. I'm officially creeped out, darling. I want to find Zack and get the hell out of... whatever this is. I do not like this at all. It is not unlike a theater set, and it is much too quiet. I think this is a facade. Her eyes were getting that flicker of gold in them that meant she was ramping up for combat. John still didn't feel anything through their combat sense, though. It was throwing him off because he had expected to be neck deep in whatever this place had to offer by this point. They wouldn't have gotten such a strong reaction through the futures if they didn't need to find Zack Marlowe. Now. Let's push on, darling. Crack this nut open, find our package, and get out of here. There was another double glass door like the entrance, just to the left of the desk and the wall behind it. They pushed through it and found themselves in a corridor lined with metal doors, everything still in the same institutional green and gray linoleum, with fluorescent tube lights overhead. Lights which, oddly in John's experience, did not so much as flicker. Hell, they flickered all the time at the CCCPHQ and even in Echo buildings. They continued down the hall and passed by the metal doors. He had the feeling if there was anything behind them that they needed, he'd feel it. There was no sound, nothing, just their own cautious footfalls. The corridor ended in a T-junction. John looked quickly to the left and right. Two more identical corridors that dead-ended. Well, shit. What now? Her spear vanished, and she stared hard at the wall in front of her. One moment, beloved. She approached the wall and laid her hands on it, 
just at shoulder height. Then, gently, she pushed. A door-shaped section of the wall, marked by the apparent lines of the ceramic tiles that the wall consisted of, receded, then slid to the side, showing an entirely different sort of corridor. John hadn't even seen the hidden passage, and he was usually really good at noticing small details like that. As soon as the door that Sarah had found slid fully away to the left, John knew, not thought, that everything was wrong with this place. He didn't want to be there. He recognized the architecture in the hallway, the layout, the lighting, even the smell. This was a program place. A facility. Where people were turned into tools, ripped apart and remade into something else with martial purpose. By the same sort of men that John had once turned to cinders. It was everything that he could do to not send an unending torrent of fire ahead of them, burning this facility just like the one he had come from. Peace. You are a better man than that now. Stronger. The strength of a man comes from how little he uses his strength, not by how much. But he could also feel her anger, controlled and righteous. I'm not a better man, darling, he sent to her. Stronger, but not better. More in control of myself. I'm the man I was then, the man I am now, the man I will be in the future. It's all me and what I do. Important that I do better and maintain that control. Does that follow? A different man, then. She glanced over at him, and a flicker of a smile passed over her lips. No, I'm still just as handsome. So you are. We will do what we must here, but no more. Agreed, darling. I want nothing more than to be back in Atlanta, far away from this place. John's claymore flared for a moment, a small mental nudge to his resolve. Let's get to it. And I want Zachary Marlowe away from this place with us. Her eyes flickered gold, and her spear reformed into a fire sword. The sooner, the better. They continued down the hallway. John opted to dissipate his sword and bring up his suppressed M4. Somewhat less conspicuous than a great honking claymore made of celestial fire, especially if they needed to deal with someone quietly. Sarah, in response, muted her fire sword until it was the barest shimmer, almost insubstantial in her hands. He got an enormous sense of deja vu as they progressed, and not the good kind. It had been years since he had seen the facility that he had come from, but he remembered every horrible detail. There were large office rooms filled with cubicles, desks, copier machines and the like on either side of them, all were completely empty of any people. This first level would be administration. Very low-level stuff, just the day-to-day -day activity necessary to process paperwork and keep the covert facility functioning. Payroll, accounting, that sort of thing. This level was empty because it was too early for the 9-to-5 crowd to be here. The levels below the first one were where things started to get interesting. John and Sarah came to a stop at an elevator after a tea intersection at the end of the hall. 
Do we take the elevator, beloved? Sarah asked, tilting her head. From the subtle trembling of her wings, John would have known she was uneasy about doing so, even without their connection. No, that's a metal coffin. For one, it'd be a tight squeeze with your wings. For another, they have control of it. They could lock us in there, then start throwing grenades down on top of it if they wanted. Or just open the doors to greet us with a mess of automatic gunfire. Stairs are better. This way, darling. They moved to the right of the elevator. John took the lead, his weapon up and ready after they breached the doorway. Stairwells could be tricky, easy enough to get cozy with an unfriendly grenade or to miss an angle. Taking things slow and methodical helped. If it were a hostage situation, that would necessitate speeding things up, in order to keep surprise on their side while room clearing. But, for now, it looked like they had time. He paused outside the first door they came to on the way down. There was a subtle vibration in the floors and walls. That had to be the water pumps, keeping this place from becoming one gigantic swimming pool. Groundwater levels started not all that far under the topsoil in Florida. Second floor is going to be in dock. Place to prep clients and that sort of thing before sending them down to where the real work gets done. I figure we can skip it for now. Besides, I don't feel Zack on this floor. John adjusted his sling slightly after sending the telepathic message to Sarah. I do not either. In fact, I sense no more than one or two people. Cleaning people, perhaps. I think you're right. This is a much smaller operation than the one I was involved with. That gig was running 24-7. If we're lucky, maybe we can do this quiet, get in and out without anyone raising a fuss until we're gone. Do you think Zachary will be free to move about the facility? John paused for a moment before replying. Uh, depends. If he's cooperative and they're feeding him a strong enough line of bullshit he might be given a bit more latitude. I don't think it's likely, though. Doesn't seem like that'd be our boy, given what we want him for. So he might be in isolation. We might have to carry him out of here. Depending on how dangerous he is, they'll have him doped up, potentially. They were on the upper landing between the third floor and the fourth floor when there was a deep rumbling from somewhere deep in the facility. Above or below, it was impossible to tell which, followed by a jarring concussion that almost made both of them lose their footing. Dust and plaster shook from the ceiling and stairs, and cracks formed in the walls. One rather large one appeared right next to John's head. Water immediately started to pour from it in a steady current. A beat later, klaxons sounded, and orange emergency flasher lights began to strobe. So much for the subtle approach. John felt a stab of urgency lance through him. Whatever was happening, it was related to Zack, and they needed to get to him now. Sarah felt it as well. Wordlessly, they both started moving. The seventh level was where they stopped. There were still two levels below them, but it was behind this door that John felt the strongest pull. Ready, darling? He glanced to the side. Abandon all hope, she quoted aloud grimly, manifesting both spear and sword. Oh, so long as we're together, never, darling. Let's get what we came for. John pushed through the door, Sarah right behind him, and they almost ran face first into two very frightened-looking lab technicians. 
Holy shit! One of them tripped over his own feet and tumbled backwards, landing hard on his rear. The other, a woman, seemed to shrink in on herself for a moment as she backed up. Even so, she was the first to regain her composure, as the man was still crumpled in a ball on the floor, covering his head. Thank Christ you two are here. He got out and there is an attack on the facility. You... you have to get him back in his cell, and fast. Well, she's right. He's already killed the guards and the QRF, or near enough. The male tech looked Sarah up and down for a moment, but his eyes were glazed over with fear, and apparently he didn't register much beyond the fact that John and Sarah looked like they knew what they were doing. Well, he's out of control. If we don't get him locked back up, he's going to kill us all. Where is he? Sarah demanded, her voice as cold as her sword was hot. Where is Zachary Marlowe? Marlowe? You mean patient 1524? The female tech stopped mid-sentence, her eyes going wide. They went even wider when Sarah planted the tip of her sword between the tech's feet. Y y you're not with security. Thanks for catching up with the rest of the class. Now answer her. John had very slowly but pointedly aimed his rifle at the male tech, who was still sitting on the floor. The man looked even more dazed than before with this latest revelation. The woman gulped, seemed to think about trying to be brave, then thought better of it. He is back behind the containment door, third right on this hallway, then the second left. And? Sarah's eyes had gone golden, with wisps of flame trailing from the corners. You'll need this key card to get past the door. That's all, I swear. Her fingers scrambled to detach a slip of hard plastic from her coat's breast pocket, holding it out like a talisman against danger. Sarah snatched the key card from the woman's outstretched, trembling hand and passed it to John. If you value that shriveled atomy you refer to as your soul, she said, her voice taking on some of that curiously multi-toned quality John remembered from their first meetings. You will cease this so-called work and find a way to atone for the evil you have perpetrated within it. The woman could only gulp as her eyes filled with tears, finally looking at her own feet, unable to meet Sarah's gaze any longer. The man finally snapped out of his daze. Jesus, fuck, Karen, let's get the hell out of here. He nearly jumped to his feet, almost tripped again, and then looped his arm under the woman's, dragging her through the door to the stairwell. Darling, you can be downright scary when you need to be. John grinned, then thrust his chin towards the direction they needed to go. Shall we? Sarah was already two steps ahead of him. If Zachary were not what we need... Those two would be more than simply afraid right now, she replied. What they do here, well, you know, except they do it to children who never gave their consent, as you did in the beginning. I know, darling, I know. Those two are going to have to be looking over their backs for the rest of their lives now, and they know it. Might just be corrective for them. But they're not our problem right now. Mission first. John sent to her, adding a light mental caress at the end of it. He felt some of the fire leave her, and her resolve set in. 
They set off again. John stayed on the right-hand side of the hall, Sarah on the left and slightly back from him. He could cover the corridor that much more effectively with his rifle, that way, and she had her spears that she could use to back him up with. They followed the path that the female technician had told them about. Sure enough, they came to a set of doors that stood out from what they had seen so far. They were heavy and thick, blast doors like the sort of thing that you would see in nuclear missile silos. They were meant to withstand a lot of abuse, and still keep on ticking. I'm glad we don't have to cut through these bad boys. It'd take too damn long. With his left hand, John retrieved the keycard they had been given and swiped it across an Arfid reader. John could hear hydraulics and gears working even over the klaxons as the door worked to open itself. As soon as there was a crack of light between the edge of the blast doors and the hallway beyond, John could hear the sounds of shouting, screaming, and fighting. And a tremendous amount of gunfire. Whatever that kid is doing, he's putting up a hell of a fight. The entire building rocked again with a second explosion, this time one clearly coming from above this level. A new set of alarms went off. What the hell? Did something get knocked loose in the first blast? John wasn't looking forward to having to try to swim out of this joint. For now, the battle sense he shared with Sarah was quiet. Whatever was happening above wasn't going to be immediately fatal to them. At least, he hoped not. The futures were finicky, and as much as he enjoyed the advantage and edge they brought, he didn't like relying on them as a crutch. The blast door swung partway open and stuck. The motors for the door whined and then went silent. Whatever was going on above must have warped the door frame. The gap was just large enough for Sarah to fit through, with her wings tucked in close. John had a much easier time squeezing by, bringing his rifle up as soon as he was past the edge of the door. The sounds of fighting were much louder now. Don't think we need much of a clue on where to go, darling. The couple had a few more twists and turns to go down before they were close enough to the fighting to see it. Along the way, they found different scenes of wreckage. Destroyed labs, medical bays, offices, security stations. Each was its own microcosm of carnage, telling a piece of a larger story. There were more than a few bodies as well. If this was the work of Zachary Marlowe, it was frighteningly violent. But John only had to reflect for a moment on the carnage he had inflicted on the day of his escape. That had been all fire and ash. This was visceral and bloody. No time, old man. Finally, they arrived at the main corridor. The sounds of gunfire and shouted commands were deafening. The very top of the ceiling had a layer of smoke over it, and the strained HVAC system was working overtime to compensate and keep fresh air pumped in. The space in front of them was jam-packed with men. They carried riot shields, assault rifles, shotguns, net launcher guns, and grenade launchers. And, bizarrely, all their gear was a blinding white. Well, except for the blood splashes. Security, darling. Zack's on the other side of them. I can feel it. Let's even the odds. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagger. Narration and production by Veronica Jagger at VoicesByVeronica.com. 
quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out SecretWorldChronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.